It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. This is, once again, your State Planning Essentials radio program. My name is Don Crawford, Jr. I'm sitting with co-host of this program, the honorably, assertively seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And his name is our attorney, our state planning expert, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Happy July to you. It's very hot out there these days. The dog days of summer. They really are doggy. No doubt about it. And um, earlier this month it is my dog's birthday. Uh, he hates the heat, <laughs> and he likes to he likes to go out and go to the bathroom in about ten seconds, and then comes right back in. <laughs> I guess that's the the thing with a miniature schnauzer. You you have these thick coats, and you don't like the heat. Loves the cold. Loves five degrees, but hates ninety five degrees. So, but he's learning that he's got to bear with it because that's the state of Texas, and there's nothing you can do about that. But um, today, Michael, you wanted to talk about not about dogs, not about heat, but about an hour in the life of Michael Cohen that happened recently. And the bottom line is you were challenged in the sense that you needed to spot legal issues in this person's situation. Yeah, so a lot of times you have to see what is it that bothers the client as to what uh, they can do to solve their problems. Okay. So you first... Uh, as any attorney, you usually have to spot the legal issues, and then when you spot the legal issues, you have to find solutions to those legal issues. Okay. All right, so in this case, there was a 54-year-old man who had a stroke, became disabled. Did you it, meet with him in person? Is he in Dallas? Uh, no, I actually met with the agent. The agent. Who's the uh, agent? What do you mean the, agent? Well, the agent is agent under the power of attorney. Okay, got you. So the man is now in a nursing home in the Dallas area. Uh, unfortunately, because because of his disability. By the way, when you're under 65, uh, you have to show more proof to get eligible for long-term care Medicaid. Uh, when you're 65, they look at the age, uh, and it's a little bit different. So you have to usually prove that you're like on Social Security disability, which she has gotten on. Uh, and so he's even though he's under 65, he has Medicare. But Medicare doesn't cover long-term care or very limited coverage. Uh, three days uh, hospitalization after th- after a three-day hospitalization stay, twenty days full pay, and mm. up to additional eighty days copay. Mm. So in this case, he got the SSDI. Uh, so that's kind of proof of disability. Uh, but you still have to have enough of a, a need to be in a nursing home, which he does need. Uh, in his situation, he's divorced. He has three children, one of which he's estranged from. He has no will. What does that mean? If you don't have a will, it would go. His estate would go to his children. Uh, and 
his dad, his only asset is his home. His home is worth four hundred thousand. Um, for Medicaid, a home doesn't count as a resource. Uh, his dad paid off the mortgage and has been paying the taxes and the insurance uh, and maintaining the property since he's been in the nursing home. And he could, and besides his own home, and now Dad says I can't afford it anymore. Well, son uh, says, "Gee, um, I would like to get you repaid." Uh, and of course, he, he really didn't want the third child to the one he's estranged from to get any any type of inheritance. Okay. He has a nephew, uh, so his sister's child would like to purchase the home. All right. Um, so those are the facts. What are the problems? So we have issues on both Medicaid and estate planning so that we could accomplish the goals of uh, what those problems are. First of all, if you the home doesn't count for, for Medicaid uh, if it's a home, if it's your homestead and you intend to return home. The home equity limit in Texas is six hundred eighty-eight thousand in year twenty twenty-three. His home was worth four hundred, so it doesn't count as an asset. But if you sell the home, what happens? It becomes cash. Mm-hmm. Well, he could pay his dad back, but that would be a problem too, because first of all, uh, there was no note and deed of trust. So Medicaid would look at that as if you make a transfer. He, dad didn't have an obligation. He didn't have to pay the mortgage. He didn't have to pay the taxes and insurance or maintain the property. There was no note and deed of trust done at the time. And under Medicaid, if you were intending to be paid back, you should have done a note and deed of trust at that time. They thought, well, it's just a family deal. That happens so often, mm-hmm. but that's not the way Medicaid looks at it. Okay. So we can't just pay him back because that would be a transfer penalty for Medicaid. And if you sold the property, it becomes what? Cash. Well, if you got money, you could pay for the cost of care. And for Medicaid, where the government helps pay for the difference between his Social Security income and the cost of care. So let's say he is getting $2,000 a month of Social Security and let's say that the cost of the nursing home is 7500 which is not unusual. A lot of them are more than that. Uh, some of them, uh, I'm on a board where the, the facility cost is between ten and 11000 a Goodness. month. And so, uh, so to save that $5,500 a month plus medication, plus medication, then uh, you want to be, a lot of people try to plan or try to stay on, in this case, Medicaid. All right, so... Uh, we would like to repay dad, but if the home doesn't count, then what should keep it is an exempt resource. Now, so if the son, the, excuse me, the nephew wanted to buy the property, uh, we don't want him to buy it now because if that's the case, it'd be cash and I'd have to spend down to get down to $2,000. Now, there's different strategies you could do to do that. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with paying for your own cost of care, mm-hmm. but he wanted Dad to get repaid. Dad's paid off his mortgage. Dad, uh, at least he wants it, his dad's estate to get the money to get repaid. He wants to be fair. He wants to be fair to his dad. He wants to be fair to his siblings. He wants to be fair, and he would like to save something for two of his three children. All right, so he wouldn't sell the home. All right, problem. that was the first problem. The second problem, um, if we if Dad doesn't can't afford the upkeep, how can we have the upkeep taken care of? Well, what if you have that nephew who wanted to purchase the home move into the home, 
and pay for that upkeep. They pay the taxes, insurance, and maintenance. Okay, we could do that. Mm-hmm. Should you have? Should you do more than that? We, we mm-hmm. say we trust nephew. He'll do it. Why would we do things? Why would we have any kind of lease? And by the way, problem number three, if I had rent, if I just paid normal rent, that would be what? Income. Correct. If you have income, where does it go? Well, in case of Medicaid, it goes to the nursing home. Right. And it could create an income. Medicaid has an income cap, presently $2,742 a month, but who's counting? Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that if you're over that limit, you're ineligible unless you do what's called a qualified income trust or a Miller Trust or a QIT that's all the same thing. So we don't. if we don't pay it to the nursing home recipient, our, our client in this case, uh, what can we do? We'll have a what we call a caretaker lease where the nephew will take care of the taxes, insurance, and maintenance. And so when I trust him, why would I do a lease if I trust him? Because I, he wanted to be able to buy the property. So why don't we have in the in the lease, not only has a duty to pay the taxes, insurance, and maintenance, but have an option to purchase the property after his uncle's death. Excellent. All right. So so now he's taking care of the taxes, insurance, and maintenance. Dad doesn't have to pay those. Now we have an option to purchase because nephew wanted to purchase it. They could have an agreed price after death. But... What happens? So that so now we have that option. So that solves another issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't. He doesn't buy the home during life, so he doesn't lose Medicaid. All right. So the fifth issue is well, what about Medicaid has a right to make a claim against the home after death? All right. So there's if it goes by will or intestacy. And by the way, if you put a home in a revocable living trust. If you put your home in a revocable living trust, it counts as a resource for Medicaid. So you can't have a will. I can't do a will. And by the way, what happens uh, when you have, uh, right now he has nothing. So even if there was no Medicaid that we had to worry about, where does the property go? To the three children. Okay. Under uh, the three children born of his relationship. It uh, doesn't matter. His wife, he's divorced now. So now it goes to the three children. Well, what's the problem with that? He's estranged from one child. And he didn't want that child to get any asset. So we know we have to do something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going by his wishes. And he wanted to get at least dad paid back. All right. So we can't sell the home. We want to take care of the taxes, insurance, and maintenance. We don't want to have rental income. We... Uh, want to uh, make sure that the nephew has the ability to purchase the property. All right, so what do we do next? All right, so the next legal issue is the Medicaid estate recovery. Medicaid estate recovery. So how do you avoid a successful claim by the government for reimbursement to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced? In other words, the government, if, if he's only 54 years old, if he lived long enough, the whole home could be taken. We've had people for, you know, if they've lived a long time and he's only 54, uh, that the, the amount of the bill could be more than 400000 right. If that were the case, mm-hmm. the state would have a right to claim that home. Mm. Okay, so how do you avoid that? Well, you have to understand that they go only go by, well, if you had intestacy, like he has right now, he has no will at all, no will at all. Uh, typically what happens then uh, is... 
either you go to have an heirship determination to determine who the heirs are, but a lot of times title companies will accept what's called an affidavit of heirship, an affidavit of heirship. That basically says, here's the whole family history. Now, it's not actually transferring the property to the three children by having an affidavit of heirship. It's a presumption of evidence after five years. However, most title companies will accept it. If, if we're forgetting the Medicaid issue for a second, uh, what's the prob, uh, problem with that is a lot of time in an affidavit of heirship, not only do you tell the whole family history, okay, so-and-so was born on this date, they were married on this date, they were divorced on this date, uh, they died on this date, uh, they had he had this three children born on this date, and this is where they live. Uh, there are no debts owed by the estate, and they own this property. Lot A, Block B, Subdivision C of the beautiful states of Dallas, Dallas County, Texas, is recorded in Volume One, Page Two. Okay, and that's an actual. That's okay. the actual recording information. By okay. Now I'm just teasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that that typically does it. But what did I just say? That there are no debts owed by the estate. Mm-hmm. Well, if you title companies are concerned about that. Uh, they're saying, well, gee, if there's going to be creditors out there in the first year or two, then we don't want to insure. We want to reduce risk because people are signing these affidavits of airship, and then all of a sudden they have a claim. And if certainly if there was Medicaid involved, then they want to get clearance from the state. Well, an affidavit of airship, uh, there would you, you can't swear to, if there's a debt then you can't, uh, you shouldn't be uh, swearing to something if it's not true. Right. You could be sued, and that's why title companies would accept an affidavit of heirship sometimes because they could sue the person who made a false statement if it was uh, untrue. Okay. I should, I'm going to mention one other case, by the way, switching subjects for, uh, uh, for a, a second. Well, uh, first of all, before I do that, I want to tell you the answer on how you avoid a Medicaid estate recovery claim on a homestead. And that's by one of two different documents, either a lady bird deed or a transfer on death deed. Uh, A lady bird deed is an enhanced life estate deed, an enhanced life estate deed. In other words, where I say, I'm in control of the property during my life, but upon death it goes to whomever. Um, I could sell it, I could lease it, I could mortgage it, I could even change my mind on who my beneficiaries are. It has warranties of title going back to, let's say, Texas land grants um, uh, and or however the property was acquired. Uh, and and so it, it, since it's going by deed at death and not by will at death, it avoids a successful claim. And because you're in total control, normally if you give away assets, it's subject to a five-year look-back period. In other words, the government says if you gave away an asset, so if I just get deeded the property to somebody else under the Medicaid rules, which is different than the VA rules, I might add, that if you gave away your home because there could be this Medicaid estate recovery claim, we think you did on purpose to, so you basically defraud the government. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, but this case, the either a, a Lady Bird deed, or an, which is an enhanced life estate deed, or a transfer on debt deed, which says upon my death the property goes to so-and-so, 
Well, it's not going by will. It's not going by intestacy. So it avoids a successful claim. Now, this is applicable in all states. In fact, we're in the minority. Only a few states uh, permit this. But that's what we could do here in Texas, and that's good news, which means that's going to be part of the plan here, Mm -hmm. which we'll discuss in a second. But I want to tell you about a case, another thing that happened this week, uh, a Lady Bird deed that we didn't do, uh, but I was called by a client that was concerned because they wanted they had a ladybird deed they had gotten clearance from the state so what happens is after the person dies it's on medicaid you say they send out this questionnaire a five-page questionnaire and they say hey do you have any exceptions and then we say yeah here's the ladybird deed go away waive your right to make a claim Mm -hmm. In this case, uh, not on the one with the 54-year-old, but this other case, because I'm just kind of going all over the place, I apologize, uh, The somebody else uh, had probably incorrectly advised them not to record the deed until after the person died. Oh. Well... It's not to say you can't do it, but they wanted to have an affidavit of heirship after that because... Um, it was recorded after the person died. We always do it before people die. And, and by the way, on transfer on death deeds, you have to do it. It's under law. It mm. says you have to record it or it's no, not effective. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here they just requ- required on a ladybird deed, which is um, different. It could still be effective, but they wanted an affidavit of heirship uh, because it was recorded after death. Okay. Not going to be a problem on this case because the heirs are the same people uh, that would have gotten it anyway. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't a problem for this other person, but the lesson is always record, whether it's a transfer on death deed or ladybird deed, always record it before the person dies. Because if the heirs weren't consistent with the ladybird deed, there would have been a problem. Gotcha. Um, anyway, getting back to our story. Well, before you get back to that, though, I have a transfer upon death agreement. Um, it's in place. It gives me a great peace of mind to know that's going to happen if I pass away. And you've convinced me that's the right way to do things. Well, it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you could say, uh, I transfer on death this property to Bruce, but if Bruce predeceases me, it goes to Sarah. Right. It's good. You could have a contingent beneficiary. Uh, by the way, what happens if, uh, if uh, let's say, a Bruce had a child? Mm-hmm. Well, if you had a ladybird deed, mm-hmm. it would go to the to that child. Mm. But what happens if the child's a minor? That's right. a problem. That is a problem. So, so, so in some situations, it may, we're on a uh, transfer on death deed. You could have contingent beneficiaries on ladybird deed. You have to do a new deed okay. if you didn't want it to go that way so people should look at review their estate plan to make sure they have contingent beneficiaries well i mean usually on any on any estate planning you want to think about what happens if right that you know people a lot of times people think about the way things are now as opposed to what could happen in the future what happens if somebody dies? What happens if somebody's disabled? What happens if somebody has an addiction? What happens if somebody, uh, you know, all sorts of different things. Some people have marital problems. So, you know, it's uh, some people are spendthrifts. Whatever, you know, all, all sorts of different things can happen in life. So from 
unlike what most people think of, which is right now, mm -hmm. the planner thinks about, well, what could happen? Right. And so even on executor, you always have an alternate or a trustee. You always have an alternate, at least one, if not two. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes, like uh, I know a lot of times we do like on trust, you have trust advisors or trust protectors in mm -hmm. case you want to remove somebody for right. whatever reason. Right. Uh, so there's all sorts of different things. And so it's just on planning, a lot of times it's just a matter of how many layers of protection you want. How much insurance do you mm -hmm. want? I think of all uh, estate planning documents in somewhat is no different than different types of insurance policies. How much do you want to protect? Do you, you know, so, and, and everybody's situation is different because everybody's level of pain is different. And what, and what's interesting about that is if you watch the daylines of the world, the 2020s of the world, you see these people who have these horrible things happen uh, to their family members or friends or loved ones. Um, and they'll interview them and they'll say, that never happens to me. That won't happen to me. That yeah. happens to other people. And you never know. It could happen to you. And that's why Michael lays out every what if, Machine Gun Mike, every what if possible that he can think of. And he thinks of all of them, basically. At least I think he does. Um, and that is why you need to attend his next workshop, which is Thursday, August the 3rd at 10 o'clock. And you can explain to Michael your situation, your circumstances, and Michael, to the best of his abilities, will either tell you, I don't know, which is very rare, or he will give you a very thorough answer based on what you told him, not that you can run to the bank with, but something that you can believe in and go further with your planning, and that is to attend Michael's next vision meeting. But that workshop on Thursday, August the 3rd at 10 o'clock is something you should attend. You should sign up now for it. And Michael, tell them more about the workshops. Yeah, we call it a workshop, by the way, instead of a seminar, because we have it's interactive. Mm -hmm. People ask <clears throat> questions. We ask people at the very beginning, what do you want to know? Right. And then I write them down on a board, and other people have questions, and they say on questions that they see from the questions of other people. And we proceed to talk about the answers to those questions in addition to having a presentation on basics, on basics on wills or trust or Medicaid, as, as we talked about a little bit here today. Uh, and we see how the different what how you could solve your problems. Just like this thing that we're talking about here today, this is an actual fact situation. And it was just an hour conversation. And we said, here's what your problems are. Here's what your solutions are. Mm -hmm. I know we've gone over five of them so far. And we'll go over the, some other things in just a second. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is we see what your story is and we try to solve it. To attend that free Estate Planning Essentials Workshop, all you have to do is call 214 720 0102, that's 214-720-0102, or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. I think you're going to enjoy it. And if you go to the free estate planning essentials workshop, we also give a one-hour vision meeting that Don referred to. Mm -hmm. So you get basically three free hours of legal ed education without any charge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's quite frankly worth certainly more than a thousand dollars that you get for free mm -hmm. uh so and a uh, free coffee mug oh and who free who forget a free double a kwm coffee mac who could ask anything more mm -hmm. as, as summer winds down and as you're getting closer to winter though uh, you know i know it's in the dog days of summer right maybe now. you should make iced coffee instead yeah, of regular. you should have iced coffee thinking about okay. uh what is iced coffee coffee is just coffee with ice in it yeah so i have I have, it, I have it every day oh, okay good yeah i didn't realize that yeah. then you'll have ice 
iced coffee and they yeah, can hit yeah, up on yeah. a coffee mug. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, so uh, to, for, to to go to the next free estate planning essentials workshop, just call 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. To conclude this story, mm-hmm. all right, so we talked about a ladybird deed because we said we wanted the um, – a home to avoid Medicaid estate recovery. So we said we'll have a ladybird deed, or you could have a transfer on debt deed, mm-hmm. depending on what the story is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But if I named it to, who would I have it go to? Well, I wanted Dad to get repaid, but I don't really want the home to go to Dad. So let's have the ladybird deed go to a trust, a revocable living trust. Now, if I put the home in trust during lifetime, it would count as a resource. But here it's not going into a trust until after death. So the Lady Bird deed avoids a successful claim by the state, uh, and then the house goes to uh, the trust. The trust would mention the op- an option to purchase by the nephew. So not only would the caretaker lease have the option to purchase, but the trust would say, uh, nephew could purchase for whatever their agreed upon purchase price is. Nephew then pays the trust. Mm -hmm. The trust, if dad's still alive, dad gets repaid first. If not, it goes to his estate. Nephew gets the home. And then after whatever's left of the proceeds goes to the two children because he didn't want the estranged child to get a share. So if he bought the home... The cash would go to the estate? It would the go trust? to the trust. The trust, got the it. Trust, okay. trust would pay off dad's bills, which okay. is what uh, his son wanted to do, the mm-hmm. Medicaid recipient. Mm-hmm. So dad is taken care of, or his estate is taken care of, if he, if, if uh, dad died first. Um, and now he's treated his siblings the way they should get their share. Um, and his two, he's, he's, he has one estranged child. Mm-hmm. You usually, by the way, mention that you're... Not purposely not including that person. Mm-hmm. It's harder to contest when it's in a trust because you don't have the delays of a will. Mm-hmm. So you've avoided, made it more difficult for them to contest. You get the two children uh, taken care of uh, that you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you taken care of dad and nephew buys the property at the price that was agreed upon. And you avoided the a successful claim by the state for Medicaid estate recovery. There's one more thing that I should mention. Uh, he and named dad as his agent and his sister is the alderman. He didn't want his uh, children to be in a, a fiduciary position. <clears throat> so that gets into one other document that should be do, done, and that's called a declaration of guardian, the ventilator, and comps are neat. So let's say, usually if you don't have um, uh, on guardianship, they go by next to kin, next to kin. So sometimes if there's equal relationships, then uh, there could be a fight. We had somebody earlier this year where two sisters were complaining, and they had uh, one the alternate agent or a power of attorney uh, was suing her sister or to saying that she wanted to be the guardian. Uh, one of them told me they had spent 225000 legal fees mm-hmm. fighting her sister on taking care of dad. Brutal. So you, if there's a document you could have called Declaration of Guardian, and the then later in comps or need, that title of the document is probably greater size than the document itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically says, if I ever need a, a guardian judge, this is who I want, and this is maybe who I don't want, mm-hmm. and the court's supposed to listen to it. it. So if that estranged son had complained, saying, hey, I'm the I'm kid, I'm, there's no spouse, I'm next. Well, you could say, hey, judge, forget it. This is the order. I don't want any of the kids. I want dad number one, sister number two. 
case closed. No more legal fees. So we have solved seven different legal issues in one hour, and that's kind of that's kind of what we look at when, you, as an attorney, you have to spot the issues and come up with the solutions that will hopefully solve all the pain. Which you do uh, almost invariably, in my opinion. Never assume anything. More likely than not, your situation is more complicated than you realize, and all the more reason for you to attend Michael's next workshop, which again is Thursday, August the 3rd at 10 o'clock. Call 214-720-0102, or just simply go to DallasElderLawyer.com. Michael Cohen, I thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.